starts off very poor, but he's very gifted. He's got gifts, he's got talents, and uh, he just wants a chance to develop them and use them. And so obviously starts off the interview coming straight out of jail from unpaid parking tickets, smelling full of paint, you know, uh, uh, you know not, not in the right clothes, suit and tie and all that. And actually they give him the internship, but he's one of 40 people and now he's got to work hard because they're only going to take one. And he's working hard to be that one intern that's going to make it. And we'll see the clip at the end of the message that ties in whether he made it or not and how it applies to today's message. So just file that in the back of your mind. All right. Where is everybody going to be this Friday night? Here. Here. You get to see one of the best gospel fests ever. But in order to make this happen, because we are, we're going out, we're inviting the community, we're inviting the city, and we're, they're going to bring a bunch of kids, and we have only had one sign-up to help with the kids section, and uh, it's really freaking my wife out. So uh, you could do my wife a favor, and believe me, you'd be doing me a favor, no, just kidding, uh, by, if you could take one of these half-hour or hour slots uh, she's got bounce house. We could run a bounce house. We got a couple of project and craft tables and uh, some face painting. And there's going to be cupcake decorating. So if you got a sweet tooth or you're getting into the season early, uh, you can take that table. Also, marble races. How many of you have ever done a marble race before? There is strategy to it. So I'm going to pass these around. If you can't, if you, you know, don't feel pressured or anything like that, but if you just forgot, <laughs> or yeah, no pressure. If you just forgot and, uh, and you, know, you, want, you, you left last week and just forgot to do it, then we want to send these around, try to get as many folks as possible to help out this Friday, major outreach person. Where are you going to be this Friday? Here, Here at church. You got plans from six to nine. We got food. We got music. Joy and I are going to tell some jokes, and uh, actually, I'm going to tell some jokes on Joy, and she's going to, she's going to give it back, just like in the movie here, <laughs> and we're going to have some fun. So, by the way, I am digging this whole prime timers group. Uh, what a way to kick off La Hacienda. Uh, I've been there a couple times. It's over on Olive Drive, and you know, it, it, for, for the, yo- the younger, I can't remember what we call it, what we call it, a legacy, younger guys. 40 and under group, we would have thought of a Mexican restaurant as Taco Bell or a Taco, a taco. Oh, you guys don't have Taco Time down here, do you? Um, if you ever get to the Northwest, go to a place called Taco Time, one of the best fast food Mexican restaurants ever. What, what is the other one? Oh, Del Taco. That's what we think of Mexican. But I'll have to, I might just have to crash the prime timers party and we'll see. Uh, so is everybody doing, you guys are all quiet. I know there's, we're a little hot up here too, by the way. I know it's a little less. We got some ladies off at retreat. They took like seven cars up. They were all uh, hatchback SUVs. It was kind of funny. We had like six hatchback SUVs and then Carmen's Tahoe. So uh, anyway, <clears throat> why don't we go ahead and pray and we'll get right to it. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for uh, just this incredible church, God. It's loving family. And Jesus, we gather now to the word of God. And uh, Lord, as we're going through Matthew here, talking about uh, the signs of the times and the end of the beginning and all these kinds of things, I pray, God, that you would open our hearts to your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 
John Ortberg is a Christian author. He tells a story in one of his books about his father cleaning out the closet, the attic, uh, shortly after his mother had died. And his uh, father was up there cleaning out some things, and he came across uh, a box, a full dish set that uh, his mother had received, and it was just up there, and it was a really, really nice dish set with cups and, you know, the whole nine yards. And John was thinking to himself, when I was growing up, I never saw those dishes. I never knew we had such fancy dishes. So he began to do a little bit of research on the internet, and what he came to find out was that these dishes were made in Austria during the Second World War, and that the Allied armies had bombed the factory, and that these dishes were now priceless because you couldn't get them anymore. You, you couldn't find them. It was done. That was it. They never rebuilt the factory. They never started the dishes over. And so uh, John is just scratching his head. He wanted to get some history, and he found out that his mother's side of the family was very poor, and for their wedding, they had bought her one dish from this set. Well, over the years, whether it was a birthday or Christmas, she would get another part of the set, maybe a teacup, maybe a, a salad plate, whatever. You know, and finally, uh, toward the end, you know, be, you know before, obviously before the Second World War ended, uh, she was able to obtain the full set. And then she promptly placed it up in the attic for fear that it might get broken. She did never wanted to bring out such a valuable set that couldn't be replaced ever. Uh, with, you know, and so she, she, she boxed it up and hid it and made sure that it would be preserved for all time. Well, John's dad decided to give it to John's wife. Said, here, why don't you take this dish set? It was uh, John's mother's. And so she takes it. And the daughter, too, knew the value and knew what it was. But she did something different. Rather than put it up in the attic to preserve it for all time, she tried to find any excuse she could to use those dishes. She always wanted to have people over for dinner, and she would honor them by bringing out this dish set. Dish set. And so every time people would come over, uh, she would bring out these dishes, and it would be a way to honor them. We, too have received a dish set from God. It's called our talents, our experiences, our time, our gifts, the thing that make us us, and the thing that make us helpful to our surrounding world. And we can choose how to use what we've been given. We can bring it out for all to see and for all to enjoy, or we can bury it. We can hide it. We can put it up in the attic and preserve it so that the dish never gets a scratch. We can live our lives solely for ourselves or our families, or we can extend our family line into the brotherhood of humanity. I left my home when I was 18 years old. I didn't join the army. I wasn't, I wasn't thrown in jail or anything like that. I simply chose to move. I knew if I had stayed around that the influences of alcoholism and drugs and everything that was going down in 
my family's unit would eventually bring me down. So I moved west, 2,000 miles away. And I'm not trying to brag on myself, but I have had to develop a family that is part of the brotherhood of man. I never had the option to hide anything of myself up in the attic. Otherwise, I'd just be alone. No friends, no wife, no family, no nothing. And that's part of how God is calling us to live, to see that we are beyond what our last name may entail. We are part of the brotherhood and sisterhood of God's children here on the earth, that we all have gifts and talents and experiences that are meant to be shared. Last week, we talked about the end of the world, and we talked about living ready, living ready for Jesus' return. This week, we're going to talk about living worthy, worthy of his return. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to begin in verse 14. Matthew 25, verse 14, very common parable told many times over. Many of your Bibles will have the parable of the talents. The new NIV calls it the parable of the gold bags. I actually like the name talents better, so I'm going to refer to it as talents, uh, even though that is one of the ways it's been translated. Beginning in chapter 25, verse 14, it says Jesus is speaking about the end. His disciples have asked him, Jesus, when you come back, what's it going to be like? What are some things that we need to think about as we're thinking about the approach of your return? And he says this, again, it will be like a man going on a journey. This was a common situation in the ancient world. Today... Uh, Wealthy men can fly on jets all over the world and be back in time for five o'clock supper. But in the ancient world, sometimes a journey would take three weeks, three months, three years. So wealthy men would go on a journey, but their employees, their servants, would handle their estates while they're gone. This is not simply uh, the maid or the milker. They had servants who were investment bakers. They had servants who were hedge fund controllers. And this is what we're talking about in this story. He called his servants and he entrusted his wealth to them. Servants were often treated as family in these situations in many ways, and they would take care of the wealthy man's investments. Verse 15, to one he gave five bags of gold or five talents, to another two bags of gold or two talents, and to another one bag of gold or one talent, each according to his ability. Now, who is the wealthy man? Who is the man going on the long journey? It's Jesus, right? Who are the servants? His followers, those who are within his household and his family. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work. He didn't take time to think about it, didn't take time to dwell on it. He just got to work. He said, I got a job to do. I'm going to go do it. Verse 17, so also with the man with two bags, he went and gained two more. But the man with one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid the master's money, crated up that box of dishes, and put it in the attic. After a long time, by the way, this is the period in which we are now living. We are living in the long time. (laughs) After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. 
the man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five and said, Master, you entrusted me with these five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done. Well done. <laughs> that's great. Man, that's wonderful. Five and five? I can go. I'm down with that. The man with two bags also said, look, I've gained two more. And the master said, well done. But the one who had one, the man who had received rum bag came and said, Master, I knew that you were a hard man. I know we have another way of saying that in our common English, but let's just keep it at that. I know you're a hard guy. I know you're rough, you're tough, you're no nonsense, and so I took what you gave me, I put it in the ground so that at least I wouldn't lose what you gave me. I never imagined I would double like these guys, so I put my little one talent around. Here you go, here's the, here, here you go back. And Jesus looks at him and says, What? You were afraid to lose? I, I would have rather you tried and lost. You might say, Well, Tom, that's not in the Bible. It kind of is. He says, You should have at least went to the bank and put it in there to try to collect interest. At least you could have said, well, I put it in the bank and the bank squandered it. At least you did something. But you did nothing? I gave, it was a, one talent was the equivalent of $300,000. I gave you $300,000 and you buried it? What? That's not being courteous. That's being lazy. And so he says, you wicked and lazy servant, you should have at least put it in the bank. Take the bag of gold for him, give to the one who has ten. For whoever has will be given more, whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow, God sounds really grouchy at the end of the story, doesn't he? <laughs> you just, isn't that the part of God where you go, oh, where'd the warm fuzzy one go? Where's the baby in the cradle? Where's the Jesus petting all the little, or I mean, I'm sorry, holding all the little children, petting the sheep? This is an interesting thing because there's a lot of people who base theology off of parables. You have to be very dangerous. It's very dangerous to do that. Here's what I think what's happening. First of all, what we do not use for the Lord, we're in danger of losing. That's one of his points. That whether it's to Christians in particular or every human being on earth that's part of God's greater family, we've been given gifts. We've been given time. We've been given talents. We've been given potential to do things for God. Whatever we don't use will be taken back and give it to those who are using their time, talents, and treasures for the Lord. But about this end where Jesus tends to get a little, sounds like a little nasty, doesn't it? Throw them out. That doesn't sound like God, does it? I think, I think the point that Jesus is trying to make is this. How many of you grew up, you had a strict father? You know, you, you, you can just go ahead and write, you had a strict father. I had a strict father. I didn't recognize this until a few years ago, but I am very thankful for my father. My father was a nice guy. Uh, he, he took us out fishing and boating. I mean, he wasn't by any means a, a, a mean guy, but he was tough. 
He was stern. There was a boundary he drew with me and my brother. We knew we could not cross or we would have to face dad. There was a healthy, and I, I want to say it this way, there was a healthy fear I had of dad. And now, as I'm approaching my, my, my late 30s, I am so glad I had that healthy fear. That healthy fear kept me out of jail. It kept me looking at toward what my potential could be in life and in Christ. Uh, it always in the back of my mind, I didn't want to disappoint my dad because he was a good guy, you know. So there was a kind of a healthy fear I had where, man, if I go out and, and, and screw around like this, I, I'm going to have to face dad. And that kind of kept me in check a little. I'm not going to exaggerate how much that might be, but, but it kept me in check enough. And I think part of what Jesus' story here is there's a little bit of, yes, God is loving, God is cuddly, God is all these things, but he, he is a father. He is a father. He will hold us account for choices we make, for the lives we live, for what we do with what he has entrusted to us, just like he entrusted this gold and these talents to these men. What is that, 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 that and of course the man is dealt with by the Lord. What happened? What happens to that man who is, not only is his gold taken away, but he's out in the outer darkness. He lost his opportunity to serve. He lost his opportunity to be a part of what God was doing. Can I be honest with you? For me, that is outer darkness. It doesn't necessarily have to be a reference to hell there. The man is a servant. He is a follower. But he's lost his opportunity to serve. To me, that is outer darkness. Me, I would weep over that. I hope anyone would. Amen? Amen. So let's move on a little bit. I got just five quick points, and then we're going to watch the end of that movie. First of all, First thing I see out of this story, number one, what we have is not really ours. He said he entrusted his wealth to them. There was no doubt in these minds, in the minds of the servants, that the property and the money still belong to the master. One of the, the, the sentences we have to kind of make sure we never fall, we are the managers of our stuff, the managers of our lives, but not the possessors. At the end of the day, this still does all belong to God. The universe does all belong to God. Uh, one of the conversations I was having recently, I, by the way, I love uh, having conversations with atheists. And so if you see me out there, I, I, I hit McDonald's over here in Carl's. I, I hit certain places. I love to sit down with people who are having lunch alone and of course, once they find out I'm a pastor and, and, you know, I love to have conversations with what people believe in with God. And, and one I was having a few months ago, actually about a year ago here in Bakersfield, was with a guy and we were talking about who owns earth. You know, I was trying to explain that the reason why Jesus' death applies to all people is because Jesus as God owns everything on the earth. So he can actually do one thing and it applies to everybody. The guy's scratching his head. He goes, wow, that does make sense. I do see now why it had to be Jesus who died for the world if he was, in fact, God. And I said, well, let's take that a little further. Everything we own, everything we have, everything we are 
is under ownership. There is an owner, the maker, the creator. That's what we call God. It's who we call God. Point number one, he entrusted his wealth. It wasn't a transfer of ownership. It was the rise of a stewardship. We're stewards. At the end of the day, we have to remember this is still all his. Point number two, we're given what we can handle. God is never going to come up to me and say, Tom, why didn't you play drums in the church? Trust me, folks. You do not want me to play drums in the church. Your clapping would be like this. You, you don't want to get me near the drums of a church. You do not want to get me near power tools. If you have any doubt of that, go and look what I did to the wall over there while we're trying to take down the kids' stage. There's a huge mark in it because I forgot once the saw goes through the wood, it doesn't stop until it hits something else. There are some things you do not want me doing. I have long since recognized I am not the five-talent guy. Maybe I'm the two, but honestly, I'm content to be the one, to do the thing God's given me to do and to do with all my heart. But he's not going to call me to account the things that I have not been given ability to do. Neither will he for you. Can somebody give me the time? Because this clock has obviously died. Thank you. So it's really not 8.35. (laughs) When, uh, When Winston Churchill was trying to rally England, they had a real problem in Great Britain. And the problem was they had conscripted so many soldiers, they had nobody to dig the coal. And in that day and age, without coal, there'd be no power. Without power, there'd be no bullets, no bombs, no ways to defend themselves. And this is at the height of the Blitzkrieg, or what they call that, Battle of Britain. So Winston Churchill does something amazing. He pulls all the coal workers out of the army. And he sits them, there's about a thousand of them. He says, when we win this war, we're going to have a parade. He said, I'm going to be honest with you. At the front, we, got, we have 100 pilots who are going to walk down the street. He said, behind them, we're going to have 200 officers that are going to be walking down the street. But behind those 200 officers, we're going to have 10,000 co-workers. And I want you to raise a shout like England has never heard. What's my point with this story? Whether we're a five-talent person or a two-talent person or even a one-talent person, everybody's contribution is important for the work of God. Everybody's. Not a time just to live ready, to live worthy. You've been given a gift, a -a once-in-a-lifetime gift. And God's saying, don't bury it in the ground. Use it. Multiply it. Be a blessing. I cannot affect huge change in an African village. I could pray for it. I could, I could do what I could. I don't have that kind of organization. I don't have that kind of financial resource. I don't have the network that I could get the financial resource. I know that that's... But the president of World Vision, he's got that. 
I do my part, he does his. And all across the world, we see the kingdom of God growing. Amen? Number three and four, we invest what we've been given because we will be asked, what did we do with what we got? What did you do with what you got? What did you do with what you had? You know, what's interesting about this story, I noticed it last night as I was rereading through it. The two people who had, who had done something, they made it all about the master. Master, you gave us, and here's more. Master, you did this, and here's more. God, you did this in my life, and look what happened. God, you gave me this gift, and look what I did with it. God, you gave me this talent. It was all about pleasing the master on the long journey who had went away. What did the guy who buried his bag of gold do? What was his first words? You know what, what's the first word out of his mouth? Look at it. What is it? It's I. I knew you were a hard man. I knew. You know, our view of God, uh, what we do with what God has given us is huge in our view of God, isn't it? When we think God is a tyrant or mad at him because he did something or didn't do something or hasn't done something yet, it can be very tempting to say, you know what? I'll bury it. I don't care. Master's long gone. Jesus does admit that, doesn't it? Jesus is saying, during this period that we're living in now, it's going to seem like God is very far away, just like someone who went on a long journey. You're going to have these conversations. Is he coming back? When's he coming back? What's going to happen? All this is going to happen. But Jesus says he is coming back. And until then, what we do with what we've been entrusted to us will often reveal how we truly think about God. The one who had the five and the one who had the two, they could not wait to get before God and say, see, see what we did with our lives. Now, I want to ask you a question this morning. Are you excited? I know that. I don't want to die. Nobody wants to die. But let's say tomorrow we're all going to die. Tomorrow's it. Tomorrow's the end. Could you be like the one with the five and the one with the two? Say, God, Jesus, come here. Look what I did with the life you gave me. Look at some of these things. No, they don't get you saved. No, they don't get you kudos. It's not about what they get us. It's about what they give him. It's about what we do for God. God, come here. I'm so excited. Look at this thing we've done. God, it was so great. We went to this juvenile home. Fifteen kids got touched by God. God, we did this camp for We fed some people who had no hope. Or... And you like that one, that one who's going, man, I know I buried it. Here's my point. Dig it up today. You still have time. Go get that shovel, dig it up, and start investing your life into the kingdom of God. And don't allow fears or even doubts to hold you back.
I'm sure the other two guys, the guys with the five and the two, they probably had their fears. But they overcame their fears. Why? Because they didn't think about it too long. They just instantly got busy and didn't worry about it. But the one with the talent buried in the ground all those years, probably all he did was think and stew on it. Whole lifetime. So by the time he finally did meet God, he was just as angry at him. I knew you were a hard man. You can almost see his teeth grinding when he says it. I want to close with a story. I figured more men would be here than women, so I picked a story that would appeal to men. But ladies, I think you'll get this too. Michael Jordan, for me, is arguably one of the greatest athletes of all time. I enjoyed watching him play. Growing up in Michigan, I was supposed to be a Pistons fan, but I have to admit I was a closet Bulls fan because there was nothing like watching Michael Jordan play a basketball game. There was him and there was everybody else. In Chicago, there were two young boys. They were growing up in a family of terrible abuse. The mom and the boyfriend had tortured them and beat them and misused them so badly that the younger brother had died from the injuries sustained at the hands of the mother and the boyfriend. They had rescued the little boy called Cornelius. You won't find this in many sports journals. It's a very hard story to find, period. But it's out there. And the little boy called Cornelius was finally picked up by the police, emaciated, bruised and beaten, and put into foster care. When they picked him up, he had a faded Bulls jersey with the numbers 23 on it. They took the jersey from him because in the back was burn marks from cigarettes and when the boyfriend would put out his cigarettes on the boy's back. They took the jersey and they had to call the manufacturer to get some information on the jersey because they wanted to introduce it into evidence. It just so happened that Michael Jordan was at the textile company signing a new contract when this phone call comes in. And so they kind of casually tell him, hey, one of your shirts is in the subject of an investigation. Michael Jordan gets curious and he says, well, I'd like to know what, what, what's happening with this story. I, I'm curious. And so finally it got around to him that little Cornelius had this jersey and it had been used in that way and that he was now in foster care and, and, uh, and this was his life story. So Michael Jordan contacts the foster care parents and he says, sends them three tickets to a basketball game, front row seats. And so they had brought Cornelius and a new foster family into the stadium. Michael Jordan, between that time and the time that the game happened, had went and seen a child psychiatrist and said, I would like to be friends with this little boy. How do I do that? And so the child psychologist instructed him on how to do that. The day of the game, the boy comes walking down the steps wearing his old Bulls 23 jersey. It was returned to him, and it was the only one he had. And he comes walking down, and he sits in the front seat. Michael Jordan gets up out of his seat and walks up with police all around him. Nobody knows what's happening. 
And he goes up, and very slowly, his six-foot-six frame, very slowly, he was instructed by the child psychiatrist, this boy has known nothing but torture and humiliation at the hand of adults. When you bend, you bend slowly, and you never bend over, you bend straight down. So you see Michael Jordan bend straight down and come to -to eye-to-eye contact, and he says, son, you're in the wrong seat. He takes his hand. He opens up the gate. He walks down onto the basketball court. And he moves over another basketball player, another well-known one, called Scottie Pippen. And he says, this seat is Cornelius' seat for the rest of the game. And Cornelius sat down there, and he just began to weep and cry. He loved basketball. And Michael Jordan looked at him and said, now while I'm out playing baskets, basketball, would you save my seat for me? He said, yes, sir, I will. And so he'd go out, and everybody would celebrate his baskets. And when he came back, Cornelius would pull the towel off of his seat, and they would sit there, and they would talk about the seat. Michael Jordan stands up, and he goes over to one of the attendants in the stadium. And he says, this boy doesn't have a proper jersey. I want you to go up to the stand, and I want you to get him a proper jersey. He takes off his jersey, and he puts a new one on. Why do I tell this story? Michael Jordan, obviously, was one of those five-talent guys. He was given talent. He was given treasure. He was given opportunity. And for one moment, he used everything that had been given to him, everything that had been given to him, and he used his authority to make a difference in a young boy's life, a difference that that boy will never forget, to speak into a situation of someone who had been beaten, humiliated, and tortured. We don't know what people go through in the world around us. We assume everybody's just okay can tell you from 15 years of ministry, they're not. There are a lot of people who are a bag of goods, a lot who are hurting inside. Maybe you're going to be somebody's Michael Jordan. If your talent's in the ground, dig it up. Use it while you still can. Bring those dishes out while you still can. And do it for God. And then you'll find joy in fulfilling your purpose, the destiny God has for you.